0: You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speakers, Travis and Don Rossina. For more information on other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. You're
1: going to be so glad you came this morning. You really are. Last night, this, this auditorium was full of couples, married and engaged couples, laughing together, crying together, praying, together, praying over one another and it was just an amazing atmosphere as we as a church unapologetically champion healthy marriage and healthy family. I want to give a shout out to Joshua and Aaron Thompson for making last night happen. I asked them a year ago to run with it and they just took it far beyond what we did last year. It was just amazing. So thank you thank you thank you both. We as a church, we are going to unapologetically champion healthy marriage and this is why I realize not everyone is married. Not everyone is called to be married. Some are called to singleness. Some are divorced. Some are widowed. But still, every single person can champion healthy marriage for two reasons. One is one of the primary pictures we have of God's redemptive story is the picture of marriage and Jesus pursuing his bride. So anytime you champion healthy marriage, you are coming into a more intimate knowledge of the gospel. and So it does something for your heart, for your soul, for your mind to get connected with the word of God and God's redemptive story. But second, secondly... We can get really, I mean, any of us, we can get really hung up on politics or entertainment, thinking they are the most influential uh, forces in this world. But really, the home and the family trumps them all as the most influential forces in this world. And so if we, if we get that right as a church, we've got a lot going for us. And so as a church, we're going to unapologetically champion healthy healthy family, healthy marriage, raising up a generation of kids that love Jesus. And uh, we're going to do something great for the kingdom of God. Amen. So seven years ago, I met this amazing couple, Travis and Dawn Rossinger. Um, they were the parents of one of our students here as I pastored the Chi Alpha here at Iowa State. And um, we hung out one night, and they said, you know, if you ever, if you ever they were, they're pastors and amazing leaders, and they said, if you ever need anything, give, give us a call. So it wasn't too long, and, and I was in crisis. And, and so I gave Pastor Travis a call and just began to talk through things as I was trying to figure out ministry and life. And he just, over time, really became a mentor and a leader and a strong voice in my life. And so I'm forever grateful for the friendship and mentorship that he and Don have both provided for me and my wife. And now, now as their son has moved on from the college campus, we've just stayed connected and we've so valued their leadership. And so, as, as a church, would you welcome Travis and Don Rossinger this morning? <laughs>
0: Hello. Oh, I can't believe it's been seven years. Where did that time go? I was like, oh yeah, four years ago. But then I guess our kids do grow up and um, how exciting. We are so excited to be here today. Thanks for coming in. I know it's a snowy uh, day. Lots of, definitely lots of snow, but thanks for trekking in. Um, We're excited to share with you today. But before we get started, I just wanted to share a little bit about who we are. So this is I'm Dawn Rosinger, and this is my husband Travis. It's kind of fun to introduce my actual husband, but uh, we are from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We've been married for 26 years. We have two kids, um, Alex and Samantha, and they're both married. And if you look at the picture, you'll probably notice, you probably recognize Katie. Oh, I think. Katie Sua and Alex, they were here a part of your church for uh, four years. So um, we are, have been in ministry for 23 years and we're currently serving in, at Evangel Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. Where Travis is the executive pastor of operations and I work with Evangel Women. I'm also the HR manager. But man, I just want to first and foremost say you guys have the most amazing pastors here. Like we have been in ministry for quite a long time. We know a lot of pastors, been in, through a lot of churches. We've traveled a lot the last five, six years in different churches, and you guys have something really amazing happening here. Um, you walk in and it's a very healthy church. we felt we just feel love, we feel God's presence in here, and I know um, obviously we credit God for that, but you do have amazing leaders who are modeling everything that they would like to see in a church, so hopefully you guys appreciate them and love on them because honestly they're amazing, so they've just what, and if we're just pouring into our kids' lives and being um, awesome examples of just what what it means to be a Christ follower. But before we start, we're going to go ahead and pray. If you guys want to pray with me. Lord God, we come to you right now. Lord God, and our hands are open wide. God, we're expecting to receive something from you right now. God, we pray that you would deposit something into each and every one of our hearts. Yes, some of us are married. Some of us are single. Some of us are widowed or divorced, but God, you have something for every single one of us in here today. God, we come with expectancy, Lord Jesus, again, with our hands open, God, we pray that you fill them up. God, we pray that your presence would be here evident today, Lord God, and that we would leave, God, being touched by you. God, we're going to be opening your word, and what greater life-giving thing that we can do is open up your word, and God, see the words that you want to pour into our lives. God, we thank you for our time here, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
2: So I heard about this couple. They were driving down the road one day, and they came upon a sign that read, Nacogdoches, 40 miles ahead. They began to argue about how to correctly pronounce the word Nacogdoches. The husband, he got so upset, so angry at his wife, that he said, I'm going to stop when we get to the next town, and I'm going to prove to you that I am right. So it got really awkward. They didn't talk for the next 35 to 40 minutes. So when they arrived in town, he pulled into the first fast food restaurant he could find. They both quickly marched up to the counter. He said to the young lady working behind it, my wife and I, we have been arguing for the past 35 minutes. Can you please slowly, very carefully tell us the name of this place? Her eyes got really big. She leaned over the counter and she said, Burger King. So there have definitely been times in the last 26 year, years of marriage to my wife that I have made myself look like a fool uh, in just some of the different things that maybe I've done or said, and I'm like, oh, why, why was I uh, like that? But Donna and I, uh, during our, our time of marriage for 26 years, we met, she was 14 and I was 16. So not only have we been married for a long time, we've known each other for a long time. But there was a season for a while, for about 10 years, we were both 45 to 50 pounds overweight. You probably heard us mention that before in the past. So going to the gym, it wasn't really on my mind. But one day, my wife and I, we began to look into the mirror and make a truthful assessment. We admitted that we were overweight and that we were out of shape. And we didn't like what we saw looking back at us in the mirror. So as a couple, that's when we came up with the goal of losing weight and building strength. I'm I'm still working on the strength side, by the way, you can tell. I'll get back to the gym. But those of you who have lost sizable weight, I mean, it's difficult. It's hard. It's not easy. Those of you that are skinny, you know what? Get out of here. We don't even want to talk to you. Drive us crazy, right? But for over 10 years, we were, we were like 45, 50 pounds heavier uh, than we are now. And so we very quickly established daily caloric goals and cardio goals that we're all tied to the one goal, and that was losing the weight, the very specific weight. The goal gave us a mental picture of what to work towards. Again, it wasn't easy. So what happened? Day after day, we started to make choices that pointed to our goals or our main goal. And isn't it interesting how there's so much that we can accomplish when we just make little intentional choices daily and pretty soon they build up and, and they we reap a huge harvest. So we started to eat a whole lot less. I went crazy. I'm a bowl of ice cream, heaping bowl of ice cream guy every single night. And so now I had a bowl of heaping bowl of broccoli every night. It was awful. But that broccoli was what, low in calories or No calories, no fat, and it made me feel full. And so we were just went like crazy, doing the best that we could to be in the gym, but to eat a lot less. We also started to run together, and we went crazy for a little while because we couldn't imagine running without a ball or a bat or a basketball. But we just started running, and we watched, we counted mile markers, literally. And finally, you know, we could only run one mile, but finally, we got up to four miles a day, and we kept running, and together. As a couple, we both started to lose weight. Our mobility increased, of course, and our desire to want to lose more weight increased. It took about one year, but we eventually reached our ideal weight, and we have since kept it off for over 15 uh, years. So as you would imagine, having that goal, of course, made all the difference.
0: So why do we exist? Why do we exist in our marriages and our relationships? Why does your marriage exist Is it really there just to survive? You know, just to go to work, come home, take the kids to their sports game, eat supper, do the dishes, watch TV, and go to bed just so that you can wake up, go to work, come home, take the kids to their sports game, eat supper, watch TV, and go to bed. Is that what life is all about? Is there a higher calling for your marriage or for your life than that? Is there a greater goal for your marriage and your life than just to make it through another day. This is what our culture says about marriage. It says, I want happiness. I want a spouse, a three-car garage, an exploding 401k, a career that accelerates quickly up the corporate ladder, a a retirement fund that's fully funded, focused on my hobbies and my friends. Marriage in our culture is a relationship based primarily on the needs of one person, me. Here is a contract. If I marry you, What can you give me so that I will be happy? And if I'm not happy, I will look elsewhere and find that happiness. Well, maybe that's not you today. Maybe you're feeling great about your marriage right now because all of the good things that people are saying about you guys as a couple, wow, they're established and they're financially solid. Physically, they look amazing. Their kids are the best athletes in the school. Wow, look at them. That couple... They have everything they could ever want. Maybe your marriage is the envy of many people right now. But is that what really matters? Does our success, our financial status and looks determine our value in God's kingdom? Is God really that shallow? Absolutely not. That is why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The answer to Jesus' question is obvious. It's no. Nothing is worth giving up the human soul.
2: A conflicted view of marriage and of the reason for living life, of course, has existed for thousands of of years. And so, we want to do something this morning. Maybe you've done this before, maybe you haven't, but we want to introduce you to two different couples, two really fascinating but important couples that we find in the Bible. Uh, Two different couples with two different goals. One wanted the world. One wanted a life filled with pleasure and making sure that everything for them was where it needed to be. But the other had an eternal goal, a goal that had touched the heart of God. But let me give you a backdrop or some context for our biblical text today, and it's this. Jesus had just birthed the New Testament church. He had sent them to Jerusalem. They had prayed in the upper room. The Holy Spirit had been poured out, and God was was beginning to do some incredible things in the early church. It was young and vibrant, and it was growing. Why? Because people were getting healed constantly, and thousands were coming to know Jesus on a daily basis. Again, the church was exploding, but here's the cool thing. The Bible says the church had one heart and one mind. Isn't that awesome? One heart and one mind. They were so bought in. They were so all in that when they had extra things that they didn't really need, they would sell them and they would bring them to the apostles. They lay them at their feet and they would share the extra that they had. So literally, there was no government welfare system. The church took care of the people in need in the church. What a powerful, incredible concept. So it was strong. It was growing. Everything was was going really well. And in the midst of this loving, powerful environment was a married couple, their names. Let me introduce them to you, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, maybe you remember them. I remember first reading about them in, in my Bible that my parents got me when I was a teenager and when I read about Ananias and Sapphira, it, like, freaked me out. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be a Christian. Like, this is intense. This is, this is like, super crazy. But let, let me kind of uh, read it to you. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. We'll read it together. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With the, his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira had some extra means. They had this property, and they made a decision that they were going to be generous, but for whatever reason, they still really clung and hang, uh, were hanging on to this idea of making sure that their own personal welfare was, was, was rock solid, of putting themselves first. And so there were some things that that they were doing, and that is uh, that they pretended to be spiritual But they really didn't care, not like the rest of the church did about uh, the body of Christ, the church that Jesus died to save. They were more concerned about building their own financial kingdom. And just like it says, with his wife's full knowledge, in other words, they had this plan. Hey, we're going to sell our, our property. We're going to bring the excess money to the church, but we're going to keep some of it to ourselves. They were concerned about their own needs. They were living a fa- fake lives of dishonesty. In other words, they lied to the Holy Spirit. So Barnabas, you guys ever heard of Barnabas? You remember Barnabas, one of the coolest guys in the Bible in Acts chapter 4. Uh, he's literally just walked into the, into the church. Peter and the apostles are there. He's sold something. He walks in, and one of the most powerful leaders in the New Testament church, one of the most generous, encouraging people on the planet, lays what he has sold, all of it down, and walks out the door. The door is still swinging when immediately in Acts chapter 5, verse 1, a guy by the name of Ananias, somebody with a very different heart and a different plan for his life and marriage, he walks in the door. And just like everybody else, he's, he's kind of sending that message, whether it's verbal or it's, it's just with his actions. He's like, hey, here's the money, Peter. Here's what we got from selling the property. And what happened? You know the story in Acts chapter uh, 5, verse 5. It says when uh, or Peter called him on the par- carpet, he said, is this what you got? And he said, yes. And it says when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And what did he hear? Peter said, you have not just lied to human beings, but you have lied to God, and he immediately died. I remember reading that as a teenager, and I thought to myself, wow, that's crazy. God really does watch. He really does know what's going on. He really does listen to the conversations that we, as a married couple, have behind our closed doors. So Ananias thought he was kind of pulling one on the church or Peter or on God, but he immediately died. So Sapphira's at home and she's already sent Ananias and he went to go give the money and they felt like good church members, but she's cooking their supper and and she's waiting, but he doesn't come home after about an hour. Two hours go by. Finally, the supper, it's been three hours, it's burned and and, and it's cold and so she's like, I gotta go after this guy. Where is he? And so she, she leaves her house and she goes to the church. She knows that that's where he was that last, that he had brought the money that they had, had uh, you know, wanting to give to the church. But, of course, she, they had held some back. And when he walked in, or she walked in, immediately she began to talk with Peter. And this is what happened in verse 10. At that moment, it says, she fell down at his feet and died incredible. They had lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter, he had asked her, he had said, is this what you got? And, and again, she died just like her husband. So I kind of asked myself the question, and, and even now, why did all of this happen? That's like scary. That's crazy. Do we even have to read that in church? Like, that's so intense. Why did this all happen? Well, of course, they lied to God, and the motivation came from a life and a marriage that was filled with greed. Our vision is limited, but God sees through the heart of, of everything, to every person and their motivation for living, Ananias and Sapphira went to sell their property, but only gave some of it to the church, lied, and actually kept some back. That's one couple that we want to talk about today, but we also want to introduce you to another couple, but I want to remind you that the church was strong. It was robust. It was growing. Miracles were happening daily. Thousands were coming to know Jesus. The church was of one mind and one heart, and people were selling what they had, giving the extra, and, and taking care of those that were in need. So in the midst of, of this same loving powerful environment. It was a very different married couple than Ananias and Sapphira. Their names, of course, were Priscilla and Aquila. These guys are my heroes. Priscilla and Aquila. If, if we could just be someday a fraction of what this couple was like, who are Priscilla and Aquila? Well, there were people who loved Jesus with all of their hearts. It doesn't matter if you're here today and you're unmarried, single, or you're a widow. These are people that you can look up to as a hero. They are heroes of our faith. Well, let me tell you a little bit about them. They were Jews from Italy, but they were very connected to the heart of Jesus, to the church, but also to Paul the Apostle. And here's how we know, because as a married couple, they loved God, and they were the perfect team in devoting themselves to the service of the Lord and the church. Paul said this about them in Romans 16, verse 3. Here's what he said about Priscilla and Aquila. He said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. We'll just stop right there. What's it like to have Paul the apostle not only claim you, but go, these guys... Man, we work together. These are my, this is my team right here. Please greet them. But it doesn't stop. He goes on and he said, uh, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Wow. Isn't that cool? Like, that's written down in God's word. That is Priscilla and Aquila's resume. That is what Paul the Apostle, he's like, not only do they work with me, this couple, this married couple are so plugged into Jesus, so plugged in to the mission that our Father has given to them for their lives that they risked their lives for me. And, man, there are a whole bunch of churches that are grateful to them. Wouldn't that be awesome to have somebody say that about you? Or, or to, to know that you have contributed in that way. It gives us a glimpse into who they really were. But let me tell you a little bit more about Priscilla and Aquila. They had a church that met in their home as they served others. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, it says, uh, it says Priscilla and Aquila greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets in their homes. Isn't that fascinating? They wouldn't make it in the American culture, would they? so countercultural. Why? Because we work really hard. We, we go to ISU, we get the degree, and this is not a knock at you guys, okay, because I went to college too, so I'm not about to rip on you, but, but it's in all of us, right? We go to college, we get the degree, we get married, we get that house, the three-car garage, we get everything, and, and we get these crazy, gorgeous, beautiful walls, we walk in there, and we shut the garage door. And when we want to connect with our friends, when we want to go deep in community, what do we do? We do what's logical. We walk to the front door and we go to reach for our coat pocket and we pull out our phone and we connect with them on Instagram. That's what we do, right? We we pull it out and we're like I'm going deep with my friends today in Jesus. I wonder what they're doing and oh man I feel so fulfilled. Can, did you did you see what they did on Inst- and and that's what we do. But not Priscilla and Aquila. Come on, a house for them that wasn't a place where oh hey look at us and we can go and be lonely and filled with anxiety and not connect connect with the church on a daily real level. That wasn't them. No Priscilla and Aquila use their they, they saw their house as a tool. That's all it was. It was a tool to open up their home and to let the church, a church was meeting. And this couple, so I'm sorry if I'm preaching a little bit. I feel, like the, I feel like I'm just getting excited about these guys. They're so inspiring to me. I want to be like people like this. But let me also let you know a little bit more about them. They humbly helped mentor other people. How? There was a guy by the name of Paulos. Apollos was one of the leaders or the teachers in the New Testament church. And uh, just a, just a really cool guy. He showed up to the synagogue one day. And he began to just kind of unpack the gospel. And he was a little off. Just, I mean, good, great speaker, incredible. But he was a little off, and Priscilla and Aquila, I don't know how they did this, because, again, in our world today, we, don't, we, we do passive-aggressive well, don't we? We don't do the, hey, Matthew 18, let's go talk to them. But they went up to Apollos, Apollos, his teacher was a little off, and they invited him over to their house, right? They opened the front door. They probably made him a meal and got to know him a little bit better. And then in love, they said, they showed him a better way. Isn't that cool? They, they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Man, they were mentoring people, even people of great caliber. They were on a mission to share the gospel of Jesus with those who were spiritually lost. And that's why they lived their lives, and that's why they lost their lives. They traveled with Paul often, another quality of theirs in fact, it says that they sailed with Paul to Syria because he, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were accompanying them. So they were constantly on mission trips. They were going to Trinidad. Is that where, is that where we're going, right, Trinidad? They were going there. But, but they, not only did they take mission trips, their, their life was a mission. They were intentional about missional living. That's who they were. So we can see that these two couples uh, were alive and well in the early church. Ananias and Sapphira, Priscilla, and Aquila, two very contrasted lives. One was like, hey, this is all about me, and, 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 and they reaped the results. And another was, hey, this is all about Jesus and others. But, you know, we can see them living in our world today, can't we? Priscilla and Aquila and Ananias and Sapphira. They're here. And our will to, you know what? They might even, and I don't know this to be certain, but they might even be in this room. They might be right here. Two very different couples with two very different goals. Two different goals. So Priscilla and Aquila wanted to serve Jesus and wanted to know him more.
0: Wow, two very different couples one living to serve themselves and one living to serve others. So what do you want to look like? What do you want your life to demonstrate? What couple do you want to set your goals to be like? It's honestly, it's our choice. Fully, 100%, it's our choice. So no one has to tell us. We get the concept of working hard towards achieving a goal on almost every level. When a couple gets married, it's as if without saying anything, many of them live like the journey is over. When in all reality, the journey is just beginning. Christ followers are supposed to work toward their spiritual goals with intensity that rivals that of Olympic athletes. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 9.24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Man, isn't God's word powerful? Isn't that motivating? We don't run aimlessly. Christian couples have a much higher purpose for living than simply chasing the elusive American dream. They are called to run the race together to acquire the prize of helping people know and find Jesus. If your goal is a dream of happiness that the relationship of marriage is supposed to give you, then your dream will start to fade from the moment you say, I do. Sadly, when it comes to relationships, specifically marriage, we think the goal is our wedding day. Once we get married, though, we forget that the end of one smaller goal, to find a spouse, actually means the beginning of a much larger goal, to change the world together. When couples who are Christians get married, they shouldn't be saying, game over, I won, I got you, this is it. They need to be saying as a couple, game on time to play the game so let's take this a little deeper when you guys become a christian you simultaneously become an ambassador of christ in second corinthians 5 20 it says so we are christ's ambassadors god is making his appeal through us we speak for christ when we plead come back to god sometimes i read that verse and i look at my life and i'm like man i'm not doing a really good job and I get really convicted by reading this. Is God making his appeal through you? Are you allowing God to make his appeal through you? You represent him to this world. So when an ambassador of Christ gets married, no separation automatically becomes a ministry to those around them. There is no separation at all between marriage and ministry. Christians' marriages are positioned to communicate the love and the grace of Christ to those who are spiritually lost. Author Paul Tripp answers this question. He, the question is, how can marriage and mission be one sphere of life? He goes on and his response is, it's a bad question because they are one sphere. We divide them up. They're not naturally divided. That's why you don't have a huge discussion in the New Testament about the tension between ministry and family. It's just not there. We have set that up. Marriage In ministry, they go hand in hand. So as we consider the differences between the two couples that exist in our world, one that focuses on marital happiness and one that focuses on blessing the heart of God, we can't help but think of Priscilla and Aquila. We are all in a spiritual fight. Every single one of us, married, not married, we're all in a spiritual fight. There are several important healthy fighting disciplines that we see in them that every marriage must have in order to be spiritually and relationally fit for life and for fighting. These are goals that were sanctioned by Jesus, and we can see working, working in Priscilla and Aquila's life.
2: Absolutely. So we want to drill down, and we want to look at those specific spiritual fighting disciplines. But how many, how many of you feel like we're in a spiritual fight? You think that's possible? Pastor Drew and I were talking yesterday. Why does it snow like 40 inches every Sunday? I'm pretty sure the devil knows all the weathermen across this world. And he's like pulling, you know, whatever strings. And I mean, it, literally, it's a spiritual fight. And I talked about this with the group yesterday, all of us that were here. Guys, I was having coffee with a man who, who loves Jesus. And two years ago, was diagnosed with cancer. And I was having coffee with him a week ago. And he's like, I was, I was diagnosed with cancer one day. And the next day, my wife told me she wanted to leave me. He said, for the last two years, I've been fighting cancer all alone. That's his spiritual fight. I love what your pastor just said. You know what? There, the Marriage is, is not only worth getting behind, it is the first relationship God ever created on this planet. God said to, to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. And so we are in a spiritual battle and evil is fighting against every marriage and we believe the marriages that we see and, and ours at times has been this way, when we are constantly fighting or we see couples, their marriages are falling apart, it's usually because it's about me. I've made my marriage, you're not meeting my expectations, you're not, you're not making these things happen in my life but when you see a couple like Pastor Drew and Tanya, who, uh, uh, a modern day Priscilla and Aquila who say, you know what, and I'm not saying their marriages perfect, but what I am saying is that when they take their lives and they say, we're going to make our lives about Jesus, we're going to make our lives about LifePoint Church and about reaching people in Ames, Iowa for Jesus, you know what? That's a marriage that God can work with. That's a marriage that God can bring joy and power into. So we are in a spiritual fight. What are we talking about? Some healthy fighting disciplines for couples that we see in Priscilla and Aquila's life. Uh, The first thing that pops in in our hearts and our minds as we look at Priscilla and Aquila was that they were so good, their goal of loving God. Loving God. I know that's the Sunday school answer, right? Loving God. But just like in life, we have many different ideas of what makes someone successful. We know what it takes to have a strong and healthy marriage. And it all starts with this love God. Am I the only one in here this morning? Starts by loving God. Don't take my word for it. After Jesus had answered some questions and began to unpack uh, a little bit about marriage and what marriage was going to look like in heaven, during that same conversation one day, somebody asked Jesus, well, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing somebody could do while they're alive here on this earth? And his reply to them, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We bring it up because Jesus said it. We bring it up because that's what we see in Priscilla and Aquila. They love God, and this came out in the goal of their marriage and how they live their lives. So I ask you if you're married here today, are you really loving God together as a couple? Are you? Is he the passionate focus of your marital life, of your individual lives? Who's more important, God or your summer cabin? What do you spend more time thinking about, God and his love for this world or for socializing with your friends? When you wake up in the morning, do you first check your heart while talking to Jesus or do you check the status of your 401K or do you pull out your phone and see how many likes you got on Instagram? The real question is, who or what consumes your mind and your time the most as a couple? Who is it? What is it? God knows. God was there behind closed doors with Ananias and Sapphira when the one thing, greed, that was consuming their hearts and their minds and putting themselves, God knows. So what is it? Once you answer that, that question honestly, then you'll know who you really love. And here's the good news. If you're falling short, and I know often, I, I, I'm like, Don, you know, what? some days I just wake up and I read the Bible and I'm like, Travis, you are screwed up, messed up, broken get yourself straight and i look at god's word and it recalibrates my soul cuz i'm selfish and sometimes i put myself first but but so often we're falling short and some of you you might be thinking you know what i'm falling short and i want to i want to encourage you it's never too late Mick Jagger one of the one of the, the the singers from the rolling stones he once sang this song the 70s rock band he said i can't i can't get no satisfaction cuz i try and i try and I try, and in real life, he wasn't a hypocrite. He was trying and trying and trying to get satisfaction, and it just wasn't coming. And you know what? He was right. This world and the pursuit of the things that this world idolizes, it will leave you empty and disappointed every single time if you don't know Jesus here today. But something drew you to this beautiful, incredible place. With all of these awesome people, you need to know that God loves you. God will never disappoint you. He will never leave you. He will always give you everything that you need in life that will truly satisfy. So it's not too late. Even better, God can redirect the direction of your marriage today and in a second. You know, there are couples that we have met, they were going a, a certain direction, headed for divorce, living lives that were very consumed with with themselves or the pursuit of everything the world was telling them was important. And suddenly, God did a miracle, and their lives are now going a completely different direction, and they're impacting many for Jesus. I, I, I love what somebody said yesterday. I said, God is, God is making testimonies happen right now. Another important healthy fighting discipline that we see in Priscilla and Aquila was their goal of embracing humility. Embracing humility. This is, this is something that we don't lift up enough, is it? Humility. People that have humility, we need to model our lives after them. Jesus was that but there are other people that we see. Remember, their humility allowed them to mentor one of the greatest teachers of their time. But so often in marriage, common phrases like, that's not fair, I deserve better, she should be treating me or serving me in a different way. Those are often messages that are heard in marriages that are in big trouble. Here's the reality. You can't grow your marriage if all you do is cling to your pride. You won't grow in your faith until you kill your pride. In the Old Testament, it says, Thou shalt not kill. Yet Jesus, of each one of us, and definitely for the killing of demanding, self-focused side of each one of us, of killing our own pride. Even more important, God can't use prideful people. When Travis is prideful, it's going to be hard for God to use me. Prideful people are not used by God often because they usually have no time for Him and see His goal of saving this world as unimportant to their goal of growing a personal kingdom of pleasure and me focus. So many marriages get me focused, so many lives. Of, of individuals in marriages and individuals who aren't married, who are who are unmarried or widows or single, their lives become me-focused. And God has a hard time being able to use people like that. Jesus went to his disciples one day, and he said, guys, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to be the, the king of Rome. I'm not going to take over the throne from Herod here in Israel. Guys, I, your leader, I'm going to die. They're going to nail me to a cross in a little bit. And I'm going to die like a criminal on a cross. Jesus told them that. Dash their hopes. Dash their dreams. And then he looked at them and he said these words in Luke 9:23. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus was saying, you know what, I am going to the cross, I am going to die, and the path to follow me is death. One of the biggest keys to uh, being able to follow Jesus is humility. We see that in Priscilla and Aquila, they're humble. They put uh, the call of God on their life, that missional uh, call that God had placed on their marriage, they put it first. And humility was there. One thing that I've always seen coupled with humility is gratitude. You ever met people that are really humble? They're usually very grateful. Or very grateful people are usually very humble. They go hand in hand. They're twins. They're character twins, and that's what Priscilla and Aquila
0: had. So Travis talked about two um, healthy fighting disciplines. He talked about loving God and embracing humility to serve others. They were great at hospitality. I love hospitality. I love having people over in our home. Priscilla and Aquila, they had a church meeting right in their home. Serving others is a, can be a hard marital goal. This is where your marriage, though, can really gain traction both internally and externally. I know there's some people in here that are incredible at hospitality. Absolutely. Connie is one of them, right? Connie is, like, incredible at hospitality, and Paige's mom, I believe you're is it Teresa? So my son, when he was living here, he went to your guys' house and he called me, like, mom, you would not believe Paige's this is awesome. mom. She's amazing, she's the best at hospitality. I want to come back. Yes, and so she, he bragged on you so much to us and we were so proud, but then we were also so thankful that you were taking care of our son. But thank you, you have a gift of hospitality, and Connie, you guys have a gift of hospitality. The disciples were arguing one day about who would be the most important in heaven, and in Matthew 20, verse 26, it says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just a few verses later, a chapter or two later, Jesus went on to say about the, these two greatest commandments in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. He said, and the second is like it, the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So how can the second commandment of loving your neighbor be like the first commandment of loving God with all of your heart? When a couple loves their neighbor... As themselves, it starts to give proof of the love that they have for God. Loving your neighbor means serving your neighbor. Let me warn you though, loving your neighbor, having that as a marital goal, it might not make you richer and it actually could cost you something. It might not make you less busy, will actually probably make you more busy, but it's worth it. It's worth knowing your neighbor's Travis and I take this very seriously when it comes just physically to our physical neighbors. When we lived in the Minneapolis for three or four years in a row, we hosted our annual block party. So the day before, we would clean out our garage, and we would set up tables, and we would buy all the food. It wasn't just, like, we bought, like, pork, and like, we cooked all this food. We cleaned up everything, but annual, it was always on a Tuesday night. Um, so we would go to work. We'd come home. We'd quickly open up the garage. We'd put everything out. And literally, we had over 50 people come every year to the black, po- the black party. And it was so cool that they showed up, and we were just able to love on them. We got to hear their stories, but we got to serve, physically serve our neighbors. They didn't know that we were pastors. They had no clue. They knew we were Christians. But it was about the second year, then, they had finally asked us what we did for a living. Um, and they're like, where's your church? But um, it was really cool. But they didn't know that. We were just trying to love and serve them. So when was the last time that you opened up your home? When was the last time that you had some couples in your home? Last Friday night, we had a 2019 winter uh, Olympic party. Like, we had medals and golds, and we played these flicking games, and we played ping pong, and we had all these, we like literally played the national anthem in between every ceremony. We gave people medals. It was a blast. We had so much fun. Why? Because in Bismarck, North Dakota, it's like so cold that you have to stay in your house So might as well have fun. But we love hospitality. We love having people into our home. You don't have to have a a nine-course meal. Literally, sometimes you can just open up a bag of chips and some dip. I grew up in a family with seven kids. Paper plates are great. You don't have to have this amazing china. But just be willing to open up your home. When is the last time you opened up your home or invited someone over to your home? Or are you the one that's waiting for the invitation. And again, it doesn't even have to be a home. We lived in an apartment for the first year in Bismarck, and we had people over. It can be anywhere. Hospitality does something. Not only does it help create a great environment, but honestly, we need to be connected as Christians. We need to be connected with the community because love. friendships are life-giving. And if you want to die quickly, isolate yourself and don't have any friends. But you need to be connected. Connect to your body of Christ in here Right now, I'm going to challenge you. Seriously, think of someone in this room that you can invite over to your house because it's going to create a community beyond what you could ever imagine. You guys are worshiping together, but connecting outside of church will only make your church that much stronger. So many times, the focus on our marriages today seem to be solely sometimes on squeezing the most amount of happiness out of our marriage and our marriage partner. People think, I'm going to get married, and my future husband is going to make me happy. I want to let you on a secret, though. Your marriage will not always make you happy. Why? Because your husband will drive you crazy. Your wife probably already does drive you crazy. If you're looking for pure happiness from your spouse, you're going to get disappointed every single time. If you think that your marriage will bring you happiness, then you're looking for happiness in the wrong place. Because an imperfect spouse doesn't have the ability to make you happy. The only thing that will bring you true joy in life is loving Jesus and serving others.
2: Yeah, so Jesus said in Luke 9.25, he says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? What good is it to gain all of those things? And that's one thing that comes up over and over again, excuse me, is is the the pursuit of, Okay, we've got to look like okay. So I'm in the presence of Myers and wish I had more hair and hair that looked that good. But but in all reality, I'm making fun. But most of the time in our culture, we're like, why can't I look like them? Why can't I have jobs like them or have a friend group like them? And so we're constantly putting all this pressure on ourselves to get the right job, to make the right money, to have the right look, and to be the right kind of person. And it puts all this pressure. Gain it all. But you lose your soul. And so when couples have come to me for marriage counseling, I always do this. I do five sessions with them. It's solution-focused counseling. And I ask them to write out five checks. I might be the only pastor in America that charges uh, for counseling. But I do. Unapologetically, I'm like, okay, I'll sit down with you. We're gonna, You pick your top one, two things that we're going to work through over five sessions. Write five checks. And we get to the end of each session. And I pull that check out. And, and I look at it, and I read it to them, and it's written out to Feed My Starving Children, uh, a group in Minneapolis that literally feeds hundreds of thousands of kids around the world every single day. I'm like, look at this. You're fighting for your marriage right now, and at the same time, you are redirecting your focus onto what really matters. Not what you see on Instagram, but the reality of what people are living every day across this world. Turn the attention. And we do that five times. And then when we're done, I'm like, keep this up. Keep this up. Keep moving forward and making sure that that is the focus of your marriage. So what's missing in our world? Married couples need to understand that what they can accomplish together is so much more than they can accomplish alone. Then, once they realize that, they need to take that knowledge and go change the world with it. The last one, and we're concluding with this. Finally, an equally important healthy fighting discipline we see in Priscilla and Aquila was their goal to share the gospel. To share the gospel. They weren't afraid to do this with their marriage as a team. Do you remember what Paul said? He said, can you thank them? By the way, they risked their lives for me. Isn't that amazing? That's such a challenge. I know of a couple that just recently went to uh, Cairo, Egypt, and spent time there as missionaries. And they were risking their lives. They were going to a a place that that was very maybe hostile to the Christian faith. But they're an example of that. I think that the world's worst marketing campaign may be the married Christian couple who act like devils. They are so me-focused that every day they watch without emotion the children around the world that are starving to death. Or they watch without emotion the people that God has put within their reach every day that are lost and will die without Jesus. Those are the, those are the couples. They have the, those are the worst marketing campaigns. So we fight against, often as churches, we fight against the marriages that we don't like oh, I don't like those kind of marriages or these kinds of marriages. But so often we fail to fight for the marriages that God ordains. You know, the ones between a man and a woman for life. That's what I love about your pastor. That's what I love about LifePoint Church. You, you unashamedly, you, you absolutely promote marriage, and you fight for it. So many places, and people aren't uh, doing that. And I'm convinced that more couples would stop living together before marriage if more Christian marriages were filled with love, motivated by the gospel. Those are the powerful marriages. So I ask you today, what are you doing as a married couple to share the gospel? What are you doing? What are you doing? If the gospel had the power to save you, don't you think that you should spend the vast majority of your lives together sharing it with those around you? Can I get an amen? Yeah. I have a friend, him and his wife, they they kind of adopted a lesbian couple. And they started having them, they opened their home, they started having them over uh, for, for supper, and they got to know them really well. And over time, for whatever reason, that couple got into a fight, and, and they, the one left the other, divorced her, and all of a sudden, through that crisis, that divorce, they were able to lead the remaining lady to Jesus. She ended up giving her heart to the Lord, moved to Minneapolis, got married, and now has kids. And God has used that couple. Isn't that incredible? Like to, to be able to lead her to Jesus and to make a difference. But part of it is opening your mouth and encouraging others. It's not rocket scientists. If you're married and you love fishing, invite another couple with you to go fishing and talk about Jesus. If you love movies, find a family-friendly movie and, and bring another couple with you. Watch the movie. Go out to eat afterwards and talk about Jesus living a life Uh, That's full doesn't have to be hindered by sharing the gospel. It just takes being intentional to keep the right goals in front of your eyes. Priscilla and Aquila knew that people were watching their lives, and we can tell this by how serious their faith was and by how they interacted with others. And that is why, in the midst of a marriage where they loved one another deeply, they shared the gospel constantly with people around them. And one person that they hung out with, uh, their marriage mentor, Paul the Apostle, here's what he said about the gospel in Romans 1.15. He said, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to unto salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Gentile then, I mean to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul's like, look, they can kill me, and they did a couple times. They can kill me, but I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Say that with your marriage, and God is going to use you So earlier we talked about how marriage in our culture today is a relationship based primarily on the needs of one person, me. If I marry you, this is the contract, what can you give me so that I will be happy? And if I'm not happy, I'm going to go look for happiness somewhere else. Well, imagine for a moment, what if all of that changed? What if it all changed? And what if instead the focus of your marriage wasn't you and it wasn't your spouse But instead, the focus of your marriage was like Priscilla and Aquila, Jesus, and the people around you. What could happen in your home? What could happen in your church, in this church, and in your lives? The possibilities are limitless. So what does your marriage look like right now, today? What do you want your marriage to look like? Do you want your marriage to look like Ananias and Sapphira or Priscilla and Aquila? Those of you that aren't married, these are great qualities. What do you want your life to look like? Ananias and Sapphira or Priscilla and Aquila? And Connie, I see Priscilla and Aquila. There are so many people that are singles here or maybe you're widows, and and you're pointing your life that direction, but also in marriage, what do you want it to look like? Let me challenge you with some possibilities just quickly, uh, some application. Maybe you could do this, walking out today, start praying together as a couple. And I'm talking about crying out to God in heaven as a couple, pray and, and, and some of you are already doing that. That's awesome. That's cool. Maybe it's time to start fasting together on a regular basis and and go deeper in your spiritual disciplines. Another possibility could be going on a missions trip together. Maybe it's time this year to take your vacation money instead. Use that money and go on a mission trip. Go change the world somewhere together. I'm convinced most marriages that are rocky, if they just went and served in Haiti for a couple weeks, if they just, you know, went to, to somewhere in another part of the world and they just served, man, their marriage problems would disappear. Another thing that I would encourage you to do is have have regular conversations with your kids about Jesus—just Jesus conversations. You know, like you talk about the weather. Just be like, "Hey, I was driving today, guys, and and you know, you're sitting there cutting your your your, your steak, and I was driving today, and man, Jesus just." Put this on my heart. Share deep truths about Jesus with your kids, and just let that be the norm. Uh, maybe it's time to just unpack to your kids again why you became a Christian. What was really happening in your heart and mind at that exact very moment? Another thing I would encourage you to do is leading someone to Jesus as a couple. It's so fun, Don and I, to be able to pray with people and to be able to watch them become Christians right before our eyes. I can think of a young lady that we've just been. Privileged to be a part of, of her life. And now her whole family is coming to know Jesus. Who would have guessed? But through that one person. So when was the last time you've been able to lead somebody to Jesus? Maybe it's time to do that and make that a goal. And grandparents, God wants to use your marriage, your marriage to reach your grandkids or to reach other younger couples maybe uh, with the power of the gospel, adopting those younger couples in your neighborhood or taking your vacation money and going to see your grandkids grandkids and pouring into them the God of heaven and earth wants to come down and he wants to work through your marriage do you believe that amen guys
0: we hope you enjoyed this week's sermon for more information about Life Point Church please visit www.livethemessage.org